The reading today comes from Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Molly. Um, and I'll just add to Jeff's um, uh, praise, I guess, for the, the music team here. They do such a fantastic job. Erin, uh, Grace, it's uh, awesome having you guys lead it. Um, I hope you do appreciate the songs that we do have at St. Stephen's because they do try and uh, give us a good mix to hopefully cater for, for all tastes because there are all tastes out there and everyone's probably unhappy with at least one thing every week, which is nice. Um, <laughs> Uh, thinking of uh, singing too, uh, usually at this time of year we, we engage in some psalms. Uh, we usually call it a summer psalms series, and psalms are the, the, the songbook of God's people, aren't they? Uh, they're the, the songs that God's people sung together. Uh, some of them, um, I'm not sure how you would sing. I don't know if you'd sing Psalm 119 in one session. That would be a long church service. Um, some of them seem strange to sing, but they're the songs of God's people. And we always have to think of them like that as we're, we're hearing from them. Uh, some are, are very general, speaking to, to all of us. Uh, some are very direct and about specific things. Uh, some of the Psalms, like one of them is about David while he's on the run from his son who's trying to kill him. Uh, I don't know how many people that fits into here. I don't know if that fits to anyone, um, but there's still things we can get from it. Uh, some of them, like the one today, is very, very specific, uh, and it's uh, called a royal psalm or a kingly psalm. And you probably saw as, we, as it was read from Molly that there are, very, there are strong allusions uh, to Jesus in it. Uh, let me pray, and then uh, we'll continue on looking through it. Our Father God, we thank you for songs. Uh, we thank you for the ways that we can uh, express our adoration and our love for you and uh, be encouraged through songs. Our Father, uh, thank you that there are many different types of songs too, that there are uh, praise songs, uh, that there are also laments, uh, songs that are uh, easy to sing and songs that might be hard to sing. Uh, help us today, Father, as we're hearing one of these harder ones, uh, just to, to think deeply about how we can fit it uh, into our lives and how it does fit into our lives. Amen. Uh, so, 
Today's the 7th of January, 2018. 2018, I don't know how many people have had to scribble out 2017 and write 2018 over top of it. Apparently only 353 days till Christmas. I'm sure we'll see decorations at the mall pretty soon. Um, I hope your, your Christmas and your New Year's have been good ones. Um, I hope that you've also had a chance to, to relax and a chance to, to reflect on the year that's just been. Uh, I don't know if you've made any New Year's resolutions. Uh, if you have, I hope they've lasted a week. Uh, if you haven't made any New Year's resolutions, then I guess congratulations for not breaking any. Solid work. Um, whether you have or you haven't, though, I'm sure that most of you have had a, a time to think about 2018, uh, what 2018 will hopefully have in store for you. Uh, what do you hope for the coming year? Have you thought of it? Uh, what should we be hoping for the coming year? Uh, for some of us, it might be quite easy to do that. For some of us, it might be hard to have a clearer picture of things. Uh, for, for, for some people, though, it's extremely obvious what they'll be hoping for in the coming year. For those people who, who are oppressed, uh, for those people who, who are persecuted, uh, for those people who face injustices or those people who are imprisoned, uh, they know very well what they're hoping for. They're hoping for some form of freedom, aren't they? They're hoping for uh, freedom from the oppression. They're hoping for justice or they're, they're hoping for a better life for the year ahead. Oh, what about for the nations of the world? What should we be hoping for for the nations? Well, again, as, as the world is full of oppression and injustice, we should be hoping for, for peace for the world, shouldn't we? Uh, we should be hoping for justice and peace for the world. We, we should hope for people to be living in peace and security, no matter where they are around the world. Sometimes, though, we, we only hope for things that only heaven can bring us. Uh, but we need to know that in a, in a sinful world that we live in, and with people with sinful hearts, that people have a great sense of perceived oppression that they live under. Uh, but, but their sense of oppression that they live under is an oppression of God. People actually hope to be liberated from God himself. People hope to be freed from his justice, to, to be freed from his righteousness, to be freed from his control. Uh, it doesn't take much for us to see that, does it? All we need to do is just turn on the news uh, and we can see the state of the world, how very far the world is from God. Uh, we don't even have to turn on the news, do we, to be honest? We don't have to turn the news on. We can just live our daily lives. And in our daily interactions with people, we can see that we live in a world that wants nothing to do with God, does it? It wants freedom from God. It wants nothing to do with God. And Psalm 2 speaks to this. Uh, it's a, a fantastic psalm to start the year on, and it's, but it's quite a hard psalm, and it, it contains a real warning to us. But there's also a sense of hope in it, uh, and hopefully a, a sense of great comfort too to all of us. Now, helpfully... Uh, I'm not good at poetry, but Psalms, this Psalm 2 is quite a nice one for us. It's, it's broken into four easy sections of three verses each. Super easy. Four lots of three, 12 verses. Um, maths brain, here we go. Uh, four sections, three verses each. And, and there's also four different voices that we hear in the Psalm too. 
four different voices that speak to us. Uh, There's the voice of the narrator that comes all the way through it. Uh, We hear the voice of God speaking to us too. We hear the voice of God's anointed one. And, And we hear them all in response to the voice of the nations and the people of the nations. Have a look at the first section with me. Yes, good. Um, from verses 1 to 3, where we hear the voice of the nations who have decided to wage this, this frankly, stupid war against God. In verse 3, we hear them. They say, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters, their, their shackles. Uh, whose chains? Whose fetters? In verse 2, it's the Lord and his anointed ones. His anointed one. Uh, the anointed one, it's, it's simply a term used for God's chosen one, God's, God's chosen one. And it was often used for Israel's king, but it's where we get the word Messiah, and it's where we get the word Christ from. And, and this opening scene in Psalm 2, it's the familiar story that we all know really well of human rebellion towards God. And it's the story that we've seen over and over again all throughout history. Again, the nations of the world feel oppressed by God. They do not want God setting the agenda for their lives. And it's true for people too. People, we do not want God to be in control of ourselves. And so people often rage against God and his Messiah. It's it's all through the Bible, isn't it? From Genesis up to Revelation, that's the whole picture. And we see it over and over again all through history, don't we? People want to live their lives without God in the picture at all. Just recently, they voted to, well, I don't know if it was voting or whatever, but they've taken God out of the, the opening prayer in Parliament, haven't they? They want to remove God from the picture. And we so often too, though, we do, we want to ignore God in our own lives. Uh, we sometimes want Him in our lives when it suits us. When it's convenient to us, uh, we can sometimes treat him like we're the boss and he's there for our needs, but but often God is simply ignored. And we ignore him and who he is and and we effectively treat him with disdain. The world world has always hated God. And we see this most starkly and most clearly when God and humanity were face to face, when Jesus came into the world. And not long ago, Jay was preaching to us through the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 4, Psalm 2 is quoted there. Uh, with the Jewish leaders, if you remember, if you're here, the Jewish leaders have just been threatening the apostles for, for preaching about Jesus. And the apostles came back to the believers and, and reported what was going on, and then they prayed and quoted Psalm 1 and 2 here, linking Jesus to Psalm 1 and 2. And they filled in the blanks of the the latest ruler and king. They mentioned Herod and Pontius Pilate, as well as all the the Gentiles and the people of Israel. The people rage against God. The people conspire and plot against God. And also, like I said, all throughout history, we're reminded of the fact that hatred and hostility towards God and his anointed one always has been shown through hatred and hostility to God's people, hasn't it? Jesus promised it, and history shows it clearly. Do you know, the number of Christians who have died for their faith over the years is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Uh, it's been estimated that since the time of Jesus, they reckon about 70 million Christians have died for their faith. 
Uh, in India, currently, uh, out of the 64 million Christians in India, they think that around 39 million ex- experience direct persecution. And, and India is only number 15 on the list of countries which face the worst persecution around the world. I, I was uh, in Pakistan actually nine years ago, uh, roughly this time of year, nine years ago with my wife and her brother. Uh, we went to a church service in Pakistan, and as you were driving up to it, they had the, the gates, the full-size gates with the barbed wire all over the top. Uh, we were greeted with uh, the guards, armed guards with machine guns at the door, and they looked under the car to make sure we weren't bringing explosives into the church. I don't think that happened on Shirley Road here today. But that's what the Christians there faced, and face even worse. I think it's downhill since we've been there. We also met a man while we were in Pakistan who had become a Christian and he was in hiding because his family were trying to get him. His family were after him because he became a Christian. Our friends, we are so safe in New Zealand, aren't we? Uh, the worst we may have to face is probably a condescending look or a, or a rude comment on Facebook or something like that. The nations conspire against God and his anointed one, with with hatred spilling over to his people. See, this should be terrifying, shouldn't it? It should really be terrifying, but verse 1 shows that this rebellious and persecuting world is, is frankly insane. It points to why God's people are willing to suffer all this persecution. It says, if you see verse 1, it starts with, why do the nations conspire? And the people plot in vain. Why? The the narrator, he's effectively smacking his head going, I I can't believe how foolish these people are. I can't believe what suicidal kind of idiots to rage towards God. And, And we see why it's all in vain, why it's such a foolish thing when we look at the second part, verses four to six. We see the response from God. From verse, from verse 4, we see that in the face of this nation, the nation's aggressions, what does God do? He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them and their puny efforts. The Lord laughs. It seems, it seems a bit strange to our ears, doesn't it? It seems weird to imagine God laughing like that or God scoffing. We, we don't often think of it, but here, God laughs. And, and that's because ultimately, human rebellion against God is ultimately just laughable, isn't it? Uh, So many uh, philosophers have chosen to write God out. You know, God is dead. Uh, So many comedians, don't they? So many comedians have free reign to poke fun at Christianity and laugh at God, uh, imagining that God is affected by their taunts, uh, somehow thinking that he's cowering under their witticisms and their cutting barbs or something silly like that. God's not intimidated by them, is he? He's God. He is in heaven. He created everything and he holds everything together. How crazy is it to think that people can challenge the God of the universe? Oh, we sing a song. Uh, you know, one of the verses says, You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. I can barely place Lego pieces together to make a car. See, the, the Greek and the Roman gods, they got their power from, from people who, who worshipped them and, and, and believed in them, but not the God of the Bible. He is God. The attempts of, of people to rule the world without God will never rival the God of the universe. 
But we can see that as a response, though. It's not just humor, is it? It's not just the humor of verse 4. Verse 5 speaks of his anger and his wrath. And it's because God can't tolerate such arrogant rejection and rebellion towards him. It's just not acceptable. He can't. He can't be a good God and just let it go. And so notice how God rebukes them and how God terrifies them. He rebukes them and terrifies them in verse 6 by appointing his Messiah, by appointing his king, his ruler. God installs his king in Jerusalem, on, on the hill of Jerusalem, Mount Zion. It's the hill that Jerusalem was built on. And he appoints his king to reign over the whole world. It's not like God feels the need to go out and wage war against the nations of the earth to to try and get his king into power. No, he just puts his king there. He installs his king in its place in Jerusalem, in the seat of power. And in effect, he's saying, do to him what you like. He's still the king. And we do know that people did try, but they, they couldn't remove Jesus as king, could they? On the cross... Jesus disarmed the devil. He solved the problem of sin by paying its penalty, destroyed death and satisfied God's justice. And all that ensures that his kingdom will never end. He is the king. Friends, no matter what else happens, Jesus is still the king. Jesus is still on his throne no matter what goes on between countries, no matter what happens between North Korea, America, China, you know, and Middle East, no matter what happens around the world, Jesus is still the king. No matter what laws get passed in our land, or no matter what leaders are in charge, God is still on his throne. He's still the king. No matter what happens with the Anglican church, God is still the king. Jesus is still on his throne. And no matter what happens with you, no matter what happens in 2018, whether it's joys or sadness or anything, Jesus is still the king. Jesus is still on his throne. And why is it such a big deal that God's still on his throne, that God's king, sorry, is on the throne? Well, the next part, verses 7 to 9, we hear the voice of this anointed one. We hear the voice of the appointed king. And he tells the decree of the Lord, the proclamation of the Lord. In verse 7, he says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. That is, in his appointment, God has established him as God's own son. And we've heard that many times before, haven't we, in the Bible? Uh, Can anyone think of when we've heard that, you are my son? Baptism and... Transfiguration, very good. At those times, Jesus was there, and a voice from heaven was heard, you are my son whom I love. And and because he's God's son, he's God's heir, and and what's he to inherit? Verse 8 says, ask of me, and I will make the nations, the whole world, the ends of the earth, your possession. See, the, the inheritance of the Messiah is all the nations, He owns and he possesses everything. It's not just Judah or Israel or Jerusalem or Middle East. or It's the whole earth. Jesus owns the whole earth. And he will rule over them 
with complete authority and power. Verse 9 says, You will rule them with an iron scepter, and you will dash them like pieces of pottery. And we might, it sounds a bit violent, doesn't it? Uh, but remember from verse 3, they said, let us break their chains. This is the people, let us break their chains and throw off their fetters. When Jesus comes again, it's not, he's not going to be welcomed with open arms, is he? He comes to a God-hating and Christ-defying world. The kingdom of God's not just going to happen because the world welcomes his reign and somehow evolves into the kingdom of God. It comes because Christ imposes his reign by force on rebellious people. But again, this is never in doubt. It's not like, is it going to happen or isn't going to happen? Uh, we heard that last week at a quip conference. We looked at the book of Revelation. And all through the book of Revelation, it speaks really starkly uh, and in incredibly vivid ways about what's going to happen. Uh, and so much of the imagery, it, it is tough to hear, but it's so important because it speaks of the reality of what is to come. But in all of it, Christ's victory is assured. That's never in any doubt. Never in any doubt. There's never a, maybe, is it going to happen or isn't going to happen? It's guaranteed. It just hasn't happened yet. It's not like it's a, a close-fought game of rugby between the All Blacks and Australia, or probably All Blacks and Ireland now, it's a bit closer, I think. Uh, it's not like a close game where you're waiting till the end and it's full time on the clock and the scores are tied and you're wondering which way it's going to go. It's not like that at all, is it? It's like Jesus is up 600 nil with two seconds left on the clock. When you've got the creator of the world, you know, the one who can bring everything into existence with a word on your side, the, the battle's already won, isn't it? Uh, and we see then in the final part, uh, verses 10 to 12, we see then in the final part the plea from the narrator. And effectively, it's the plea from God to the nations, and it's the plea from God to all of us. Uh, he explains the implication of what he's been talking about, the implication of that whole psalm. Therefore, he says in verse 10, he says, therefore, be wise and be warned. He's saying that the right response, the, the only logical response, the only sane response to the Lord's decree is to wise up. To wise up, serve the Lord, and to kiss the Son. I hope you can see the grace shown here right at the end. You know, this invitation is to the kings and rulers that were rebelling against God openly at the start. They've been offered a lifeline now. And all of us too. We were in open rebellion against God. We all were. We're in open rebellion against God. But he's offered us his grace. Our family and friends, those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, they are in open rebellion against him. But the invitation is there for them as well. No one is too far. It's not too late for anyone. The end section here is it's not an ultimatum so much, but rather it's an invitation. And we need to see it that way. It's, it's the desire for God to have everyone come to him and acknowledge him for who he is. To serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and trembling. It, it, it sounds weird, doesn't it, to serve someone with, 
with fear and rejoicing and trembling. They, those emotions don't kind of go together too much, do they? Um, but I hope you can see that it's perfectly normal and sensible and appropriate response when dealing with God, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you've ever been swimming down at the beach when the waves are crashing, uh, but it's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's heaps of fun when you get a good surf going. But you also get a sense of the power of the ocean. You know, where even getting hit by a small wave can knock you over and end up with sand up your nose. Uh, hasn't happened to anyone? No. But you quickly learn to fear the ocean. You learn to fear the power of the ocean. You know, you turn around and look back and you're suddenly 100 metres down from where you started. You, you fear the power of the ocean. If, if you don't respect and fear the ocean, then you're practically a, a fool and you're going to get into heaps of trouble. You know, if, if we can understand the right fear of the ocean and, and, and rejoice in the fun of the ocean and tremble at its power, then we, we must be able to understand the right fear of the one who made the ocean. We must be able to do that while still being able to rejoice in who he is. And then finally, guys, the, the final verse shows us really the only two options available. Either kiss the sun or kiss heaven goodbye. Kiss the sun or kiss heaven goodbye. They're the, the only two options. Uh, we've seen in, in movies and stuff, kiss the sun, like kiss the king, the king holds out the signet ring, kissing the king was a sign of submission to them, a sign that you're not waging war, that there's peace with you. It's a sign that we want peace with God on his terms. Uh, it, may, it seems uncomfortable to speak of God's wrath. Uh, Jesus spoke of it often, we should. Uh, but there's going to come a day, there is going to come a day when we are all bowing before God and we'll all be judged for how we've treated his son we can't avoid it it's going to happen to all of us to, to everyone we know we, we, we can't avoid it with fancy arguments we can't buy our way out of it we certainly can't put our heads in the sand and ignore it for us and our friends and our family Psalm 2 it's a it's a tough one to hear. I always find things tougher to when I'm actually up here speaking them. They seem easy while reading them the first time, but then you go through them and they're really tough. But it's one that we all need to hear as we start the year. Uh, I said at the start it contains a real warning, and, and I hope that if you haven't yet, that you are wise and you think hard about how you view God and his son. Please don't put it off. If, if, even if I've explained things badly, talk to someone afterwards. Talk to me, talk to Jay, talk to Jeff. Talk to someone about it, but don't put it off. And for those of you who have put your trust in Jesus' Son, just keep trusting. Keep trusting daily when it's easy, when it's hard. Just keep trusting. And remember that Jesus is God's King. He's in control and absolutely nothing will take you out of his hands. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, I, I thank you uh, that you have set your chosen king in place. Uh, he, he's the perfect king, and, and it's through him that we can come to you. Uh, Father, please, if anyone hasn't turned to him yet, please uh, work in their hearts, help them to think deeply, and, and turn to him as Lord and Saviour.
Uh, And for all of us, please help us to remember that Jesus is king. Uh, Forgive us when we we, we are tempted to put ourselves or or anything above him. Uh, Help him tremble, uh, worship, serve, rejoice uh, in Jesus as our king and saviour. Amen.